Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. What's up, guys? It is all over. And it's time to close the book on the 2023 season. And, uh, you know, as always, we've got Lauren Cox back to help us do that. We'll do the 2023 year in review. And really, we're not going to talk about the year as a whole so much as we're going to talk about the last five weeks of the season and the Bears' big end-of-year press conference yesterday where it was announced that Eberflus is staying, but Getsy and most of the offensive staff are out. Um, and, uh, you know, what we'd like to see happen in the offseason, what uh, what we could be looking for, the quarterback situation, and all the rest of that stuff. Lots to get to. Going to put a bow on 2023 as we move into 2024, so let's go ahead and get started. This is the 2023 year in review episode of the Bears Talk Underground, so let's get to it. Lots to talk about with Lauren. We got a you know a nice little chunk of a conversation. You guys know that we tend to uh, get a little long winded uh, when we talk, and uh, we went for almost an hour and twenty minutes today. And trust me, there's no filler in this conversation. It was all all good stuff. We didn't go on too many uh, or actually any tangents that I can really think of uh, when we talked. So it wasn't uh, you know, like after you get done trimming the fat was what uh, an hour and 20 minute conversation after we got done talking about all of our side stuff, but no, it was a good solid hour and 20 minutes talking about the season, talking about the year of the end of year, uh, press conference, the bears held yesterday, what that, what it means, what we think. And at the end, we talk about what we want to see going forward in the off season. Do we think we should keep fields and so on? So but before we get to get, we do have some end-of-year stuff to talk about for the Bears. Number one, we are picking number one. As as we all know, the Bears had that locked up after the Falcons game uh, earlier this season. And after losing to Green Bay, we finish at 7-10, and 10, which is a four-game improvement from last season. And we're going to be in the top ten again, number nine. Ironic, because that's where we were when we made the trade with Carolina last year. We went from one down to nine. So... Number one, if in Carolina's pick, number nine overall, and obviously there's going to be talk from now until after we make the pick about what the Bears should do or what they should have done uh, with it. Uh, Cairo Santos set a single-season record for field goals made with 34. Uh, Robbie Gold was the former record holder, kidding 33 in 2015. John Fox's first year as our head coach, and 32 in the Super Bowl season of 2006. So Santos now atop the record books uh, for that category with the Bears. And Assistant General Manager Ian Cunningham was requested for an interview for the Director of Football Operations, a.k.a. the General Manager, of the Washington Commanders. And he is actually was named this morning as a finalist for the position. It's come down to him or... Um, 
Adam Peters from the San Francisco 49ers, and I don't think he's an assistant GM, but he's high in their personnel uh, department. So to be one of those two guys, if Cunningham is the guy that is hired by the commanders, uh, we get two third-round picks, one this year and one next year uh, for it. I think those fall into, like, the compensatory uh, picks. So, like, you know, probably somewhere in the 90s or the, or the early 100s when it all gets down uh, to it. Uh, and then on Monday, when uh, the Bears signed some practice squad players to uh, reserve future contracts, linebacker Micah, Micah Baskerfield, uh, ba- yeah, Baskerfield, uh, tight end Steven uh, Carlson, offensive lineman uh, Jerome Carvin, Aviante Collins, uh, Bill Murray, and uh, the uh, foreign exchange guy, I guess would be the best way to describe that, Roy Mbatika. Uh, they will all sign to futures contracts. Defensive back Adrian Colbert uh, was signed as well, along with uh, Nasimba Walker, uh, Webster, excuse me, Nasimba Webster, and uh, defensive lineman Michael Dumwafor and Daniel Hardy. So those are the, what, nine, ten guys that we signed to futures contracts. And I kind of alluded to it in the preview. If you guys want to blame me for jinxing us, go right ahead. But uh, thanks to the loss to Green Bay, we did, in fact, finish in last place in the division again uh, in 2023. And But the silver lining, which is what I talked about in the preview episode, is that the same place finishers that we will have to play next year, which are the NFC East, the NFC South, and are out of conference, same place with the AFC East, because it's who you played. It's the out-of-conference division that you played two years ago. So in 2024, that would be 2022. And in 2022, we'd play the AFC East. So last place in the NFC South, the Carolina Panthers. Last place in the NFC East, the Washington Commanders. And last place in the AFC East, the New England Patriots. Those are three teams that we handled rather rather well in the last uh, two seasons. So knock on wood, that that holds, and that's at least three games we can count on next season. Uh, Carolina and New England will be home games where we'll be traveling to Washington once again, but that also means the silver lining to that is we get Mr. Wu, Brian himself, back on the show uh, at least two times next year, once during the uh, opponent preview series and then uh, again during the regular season. Uh, The rest of our home schedule, obviously Detroit, Green Bay, and Minnesota as division opponents. And we have the NFC West and the AFC South uh, next season. Home games are the uh, Rams and the Seahawks. Uh, We got Jacksonville and Tennessee at home as well. On the road, we got Detroit, Green Bay, Minnesota, obviously. And then from the NFC West, we got Arizona and San Francisco And from the AFC South, we have Houston and Indianapolis. So that's our 2024 opponent schedule next year. And obviously the schedule itself won't be out for another four months until like mid-May once the draft is in the books. So there you go. And that's all the news and notes that I have today, aside from uh, yesterday and then this morning kind of being the, the all the legends are kind of leaving now, Pete Carroll uh, left uh, or was resigned or was let go, whatever you want to call it, from Seattle. Shortly after that, Nick Saban uh, retires. And then this morning, the Patriots and Belichick part ways. So 
but Belichick and Carroll being let go by their teams make eight teams that are going to be looking for head coaches uh, next year, which means a quarter of the league will have a brand new head coach uh, next season to go along with the Chargers, the Commanders, the Panthers, the Titans, because they let Mike Vrabel go. There are probably a couple more that I'm not thinking of uh, right now. So, Oh, Atlanta, the Falcons, Arthur Smith, they let him go. So that's that's seven. Who am I, who's, who am I missing? Doesn't matter. But uh, there you go. That's all the news and notes that I have for you. We're, we're picking one and nine this season, and the debate begins. Well, I mean, it's been going on since week four. We're 0-4 ever, ever since week four, and we blew that game against the uh, the, the, the Broncos. The, the Bears have been on the clock. So it's just been whether or not Carolina is actually going to hang on to it, and God bless them, they did. The entire season they held up to the number one pick. So, uh, yeah, so that that debate's been raging on. It will only get more intense as we get closer. So uh, let's go ahead and, and bring in our good friend uh, Lauren Cox and talk about uh, this uh, the, the, the tail end of the season here where the Bears went 3-2 and two, uh, in their last five games, should at the very least have gone 4-1 and one with that Cleveland game uh, in there. What we thought about the end-of-year presser for the Bears uh, with Kevin Warren, Matt Eberflus, and Ryan Poles yesterday and uh, what we want to see in the uh, 2024 offseason, or is it the 2023 offseason or the 2024? I, I would say it's the 2024 offseason, I guess. I don't know. But uh, what we want to see from there, uh, and uh, whatever else Lauren and I can drudge up. So it's all over. Finally, the uh, year of the end of year press conference took place yesterday afternoon, and here to talk and sift through the ashes of the 2023 season. We'll talk about those last five games, and uh, we'll talk about the uh, the last four days and uh, the 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 next four months and plus that we have ahead of us. And here to do that is our good friend from Locked On Bears, Lauren Cox. Welcome back, Lauren. Hey man, thanks for having me. Although uh, it seems like every off season when we do this, it never feels like the most fun conversation. Uh, maybe it was a couple of years ago, but it hasn't always been fun this time of year. So hopefully, yeah. we can well, I mean, even when we had a fun season back in 2018, it was such a soul crushing loss to the Eagles that kind of really tainted talking about everything that came before it. And I don't know, man. Did you did you get seduced by the uh, by the Falcons game? Did you think we had any shot in hell of beating Green Bay on Sunday? I yeah, I did think they had a good shot to beat Green Bay. I, I, was, I thought you were going to ask about the playoffs for a second. I was like, I think they may have been already eliminated there, but yeah, certainly, they uh, were. yeah. I, I went into Green Bay feeling well after the Falcons game. I thought, okay, yeah, this team could beat Green Bay once Jalen Johnson is listed as doubtful and then ruled out, and then Darrell Mooney's out, and a couple other players here and there were out. Then I started, then I was like, mm, uh, the doubt, you know, then I started to lose that confidence, but certainly I thought a hundred percent healthy or as healthy as the bears were against the Falcons. If you took that team and played against green Bay, I thought it would have been a little bit of a better option. Yeah. So no, no Jalen Johnson. So our breast, our, our best cover corner out, uh, our number two wide receiver and Darna Mooney, who was on a downward trend all season, seemingly, and a not 100% Cole Komet uh, going into this thing to where we've got Trent Taylor and Colin Johnson running routes for the Bears 
uh, in this game. My favorite play of the whole game is the one that uh, has been featured quite a bit was where the Bears expected, or Luke Getze, most uh, most uh, guilty, uh, expected Trent Taylor to block down on Rashawn Gary on what was supposed to be, I think, a designed quarterback run on like third and one or something like that. And instead, he completely misses the block because he's five foot nothing and a hundred and nothing. And Rashawn Gary is an entirely grown man. And he ran right through that. that I don't want to say it was a piss poor attempt. It was just bad by design. And, you know, to the point where it, we didn't really even know what the play was supposed to be because that's how quickly it fell apart. It's one of those that sounds like an anom- an exaggeration when you say that the receiver and the defensive player, the defensive player has literally six inches and a hundred pounds on him. <laughs> that sounds like you're just like, throw, you're just like, oh, you're just rounding up to a hundred or, but no, literally five foot eight versus six foot two and 178 pounds versus like 272 pounds, literally six inches and a hundred pounds on him like that, that to me maybe put the final nail in the coffin on Luke Getzey and certainly encapsulated the era. Yeah, yeah. So real quick, we'll run through it. The last time we talked was during the bye week after the win uh, over Minnesota, where, uh, you know, personally I was a little salty that the the Bears were the butt of the joke, even though they managed to win a game where they didn't score a touchdown because our defense came through. We had the game-winning field goal because Justin Fields had done what he'd failed to do in prior occasions, which was lead the the offense down the field and, and make the critical score to win the game. And, you know, we were looking at it, and it was like, you know what? Cleveland, Detroit, Arizona, Atlanta, Green Bay. It's like I I don't think the Bears will be favored to be, you know, the, the will be favored in more than one or two of those games, but every one of those, the game, the Bears should be in. And uh, I mean, aside from this past Sunday, we showed up in all four of those games and we won three of them. So this is the first time we've talked this season where we've got like a winning record in the portion of the season that we're talking about uh, this year. It wasn't a bad way to finish the season. It's just that that Green Bay loss really leaves a sour taste in everybody's mouth. Yeah, and you know you start to you start to poke holes, especially like in in retrospect, right? It's like okay, the Cardinals were ended up being a really bad team, and the Falcons finished under five hundred, fired their head coach, you know, really abysmal, disappointing. Like certainly the Falcons had a good defense, and like there was there were things to, to say nice about the Falcons, but even you know over the course of the season, you got what three or four teams now that they played that fired their head coach: Washington, Los Angeles, uh, and Atlanta. And I thought there was another, I thought there was another one in there, but I'm. Might be in Carolina, of course. Like you know, so you beat you beat four teams that fired their head coach, and then a Falcons team that probably wasn't that great, a Cardinals team that wasn't that great, and then you almost beat the the Browns. But you know, the, the season feels like so many like what ifs. Yeah. You know, what if you had beaten Denver? What if you had beaten Minnesota the first time? Like you were right there in a lot of these games. What if you'd beat Detroit the first time? And and, that, and that's where it gets into the Matt Eberflus conversation. But you know, at least this final stretch, you felt like. They were riding some real momentum to carry into 2024 until they lose to Green Bay. Yeah. I mean, what, what they, um, they, had, they came out with a real impressive showing against the Lions uh, at home to where instead of pissing it down their leg in the fourth quarter, they had a bad second quarter and then dominated the second half. Defense shut out the uh, Lions. You know, the, uh, Justin Fields looked really good uh, in that game. Favorite moment in the game, obviously, was – was that Aaron Rodgers moment we've seen kill us so many times where somebody jumps so Aaron Rodgers in full, you know, free play mode and 
uh, Justin finds DJ for like a 40-yard touchdown on 4th and 13, uh, of all things. And that was kind of like the the big moment in the game where it's like we've never seen them do this before. But, damn, look at them. They did it, you know, against a good football team because that was one thing. You go back and look at these seven victories the Lions is the signature win because it's all like you know, like you said, teams that fired head coaches or teams that had really bad losing uh, seasons, and it was just a more uh, like a war of attrition. Which one of these bad teams is winning today, as opposed to having a good quality win on the schedule this year? Yeah, that to me felt like it. It could have been a turning point, right? Yeah. It was like okay, first, first game after the bye week. Like now, Fields is back in rhythm, you know, like, so like, you know, feels his first game against the lions. Okay. Like he's coming off an injury and sure they played really well and blew in the fourth quarter, but like, and not to excuse it by any means, but like maybe you can find explanation there and then, okay, they finally get over the hump against the Vikings and then they dominate the lions. Like you know, that, that's sort of the like steps, sure. up, you know, yeah. escalating. It's like, wow, they, they beat a good lions team. And I, I was at that game at soldier field. And I remember afterward the lions fans on the Y out of the stadium were like complaining and, and like, Oh, we got to fire our offensive coordinator. This guy sucks. Or defensive coordinator. Sorry. Defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn. They're like, this guy sucks. We got to get this guy out of here. And I know now he's got a couple head coaching interviews. Not that he's done a great job this season, but it's, it's just funny, like how Lions fans were legitimately like, man, we just got our ass kicked by the Bears. And it felt like, all right, now, now all of a sudden the Bears are cooking. Maybe, maybe not playoffs, but like, can they, like that, that was the moment where it's like, Matt Eberflus could maybe save his job, and maybe even Luke Getze could maybe save his job because the offense played great, and they didn't blow it in the fourth quarter. That was the growth we were looking for, and they just had to sustain that for the rest of the season, and you know, a week later, same old result. Yeah, a week later in Cleveland, the defense is on fire for, again, the first 45 minutes of the game at least. Um, the offense, if you go back and look at it, really only managed one legitimate scoring drive on its own because the other two were set up. One was a pick six, and the other one was set up by an interception. The first touchdown was the Eddie Jackson uh, interception. Uh, but nonetheless, the defense was doing its job. It was hand- handling Joe Flacco and then the and the Browns' offense. And then, once again, we have one of these collapses where the offense can literally do nothing to help the defense, and then it was just like the dam breaks on the defense. Flacco throws for over 200 yards and two touchdowns in the fourth quarter alone, where he and Justin Fields were on even ground going into the fourth quarter statistically, and then Flacco blows us out of the water, and they score the touchdowns. And even then, it all came down to the uh, to the Hail Mary that, falls, that literally falls into Darnell Mooney's lap and – you know, just to encapsulate the, the year, uh, you know, as far as the what-ifs are concerned, you know, what if Darno Mooney catches that? We're one game better, and, you know, we probably still miss the playoffs by getting our asses handed to us by Green Bay, but we're not eliminated going into that Green Bay game if, if Darnell catches the ball. And to me, the whole thing was symbolic of, of, of the Bears' season, right, where it's like it feels like progress for so long, and then it literally slips to their fingertips. Like, it, th- that to me was – was this season in a nutshell and, and why, again, like it felt like the, the progress you'd made against Detroit, like we were, we were you're, you're on this ascend and then it's like, oh no, never mind. We're still, it's still, still Maddie Rufus's defense choking at the end and still the Bears offense getting the ball at the one yard line and needing six plays to go back four yards before they finally score that first touchdown. Like, you know, it's just, it's everything that this Bears season was. Yep, you lose a close one in the fourth quarter, the offense is constipated and the defense chokes at the very end and then it's literally in Darna Mooney's hands and you can't hold on to it. Like, all right, we're back to not back to where we were, but like 
the progress that we thought you had made, maybe not quite as much progress as you thought, and it kind of bore out as the rest of the season went on. You know, that you, you reminded me, that, that sequence there for the first touchdown that ended with Justin finding Cole in, in the corner of the end zone, that was the seventh or eighth play that was run uh, in from the four-yard line. And, um, you know, it, because of the penalties on both teams, but because of the penalties, it was a officially only a four-play, one-yard drive. Uh, even though it was a four-yard touchdown pass or whatever by uh, by Justin to uh, to close it off. I mean, but what it was like a Keystone Cops kind of thing. There was just one error after another, and, you know, yet then we finally get this thing, uh, you know, punched in. So, okay, thank God we finally did it, but could we have made it look any more difficult than we did to punch? I mean, even against the best defense in the NFL, but, I mean, come on, man. Seven tries, and you it took you seven tries to get in from inside the five-yard line. I mean, imagine if they had settled for a field goal there, right? I mean, how frustrating yeah. that would have been. Like, and if that, if that third and five pass to Cole Komet goes incomplete, and they go in for it on fourth and five from five, or, I mean, I, I, with this team, I, I don't know, but probably, probably lingering too much on that one sequence of the Browns. But again, like, Offensive problems like are right there through and through, and the kind of the precursor to what we ended up seeing against Green Bay, and ultimately the end of Luke Getze. Yeah, then in Arizona, I I, I kind of call the Arizona game one of those yeah but uh, victories because we got out in front early, uh, looked really good, and you know the Arizona basically dominated the second half. The Bears really couldn't do much of anything. We weren't moving the ball well, and then finally. Cairo Santos kicks the field goal to make it a two-score game with a lot less time than Arizona needed uh, to make anything happen. So the Bears ultimately come away uh, with the win, but what turned out to be the what third-worst team uh, in the NFL, it was a, a strong start and a weak finish that uh, you know didn't really sit well with me. There was definitely that fear of like, oh, no, they're going to blow it again, right? Cause yeah, for sure. Zero, and then the rest of the game, I think it was 16-6 Cardinals. Yeah. From like midpoint on the second quarter on, Bears had a couple of field goals, but really couldn't get anything else going offensively. And you know, Kyler Murray and James Conner start to get going a little bit more. They're not that Conner like ran all over them or anything, but the running game started to be a little bit more of a factor there. And it, the Bears found a way to kind of take care of business at the end when Khalil Herbert really got going. But I, it was that was the only other game this season that I went to. And I, again, like I remember talking to Bears fans in the concourse. It's like. It, you still like where the feeling was like, man, we might still blow this. I was like, you feeling good at the lead? They're like, uh, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, you hope, you hope, but you've been burned before. I'm like, yeah, like they were up 11. It's like, well, Cardinals keep moving the ball. Like it again, but it's like hard to not enjoy the win. And you know, but it, especially against a bad team, right? If you feel like you're, you're worried about blowing it against the Browns or whatever. Okay. Like they're a playoff team with a really good defense. Like that's more, understandable, less damning of, of the Bears team. If like, yeah, good teams are going to come back on you sometimes. It's hard to hold a lead against a really good team because they're a good team. But when it's the Cardinals, uh, that's yeah. that's why that win doesn't feel as much like a win. I mean, it's a win and it counts, but feels less good of a win than a lot of the other ones. Yeah, that's why I call it one of those yeah, but victories. Yeah, we won, but, you know, that was one of those games uh, for me. And then finally, on the last calendar day of 2023, we got the Falcons that come into town. And again, it's a really strong start. And basically, aside from the one big screenplay for a touchdown, the Bears completely shut down uh, Atlanta in the first ha- in the first half. 
In the second half, they make a little bit of a resurgence, but for the first time, the Bears actually put somebody away. You know, with the the the, the interceptions late, we got one on uh, Ritter and then another one on, or actually it was Heineke and then Ritter that we got the interceptions from uh, and everything. And, and you know, uh, what was it? Herbert got another touchdown late in the game. And, uh, you know, Santos kicked another field goal. And, hey, we win 37 to 17, we want Justin, we want Justin, you know, and it was just, it was one of our, it was probably as a team overall, our finest performance of the season, and we're having it at the right time going into this all-important game uh, against Green Bay, which even if playoffs aren't on the line, it could really set the tone for the offseason and where we want to go in 2024, basically repeating the story that the Lions played last season. We saw how well that worked out for them this year, but, you know, I had the sons of bitches. They gave me hope again. And for what? The fourth, fifth time this season, it was dashed almost immediately when they got to Green Bay. I'm with you that that Atlanta game felt like the most sort of like solid four quarters yes. of high quality Chicago Bears football game that we saw all season. Like every even the other wins like. You had moments in there, like longer moments than a 75-yard screen pass, like like quarters, you know, consecutive drives there where it's like, man, this team is struggling right now and got to find a way to bounce back and recover from this. But it felt like against the Falcons, again, like outside of the 75-yard screen touchdown pass, obviously you have punts or whatever. Like not every drive has scored, but like over the course of the game, you never felt like the Bears really were losing control or lost control of that game or you were nervous about them coming back. Like they, the defense was constantly there. The offense was consistently moving the ball. It's amazing if you just throw the ball to DJ Moore 13 times, what's going to happen in that, you know, in those games and how they weren't able to do that more is beyond me. But like, that was, that was like the formula type game. Like this is what the bears are supposed to look like. And as you were saying, as best as they possibly could look heading into a game against green Bay, where you you have to have some confidence Mm -hmm. in in that, that team that we saw against Atlanta, being able to take on Jordan love and a bad Packers defense with, young Packers wide receivers. Like not that I ever thought they were going to shut down Jordan love and the offense entirely, but like it was gearing up on paper to be a good opportunity for fields and the offense to have a good game. And the bears defense was the strength anyway. So they should be able to go toe to toe with, with Jordan love and a bunch of young wide receivers. Like that should be, if not a winnable bears game, a very close one that they can be in to the very end. And sure. The final score ended up being fairly close, but I don't think that that reflected uh, the the quality of play of the two teams, right? Yeah, it was uh, it was very reminiscent of the home opener in 2019 against Green Bay, where the score yeah. was only 10 to three, but that was not a close competitive 10 to three. You know that it was not. You know the Green Bay essentially kicked our ass that day, and we still were humming on defense, sacked Rodgers five times, and. Uh, and all that kind of stuff, but the offense, and that's where I will, I will take it to my grave. I've said it a thousand times. I think that's the night that Mitch lost his mojo because he was never the same after that game. You know, he just wasn't, and you know, it just it, it was the beginning of the end uh, for him. But it's just it felt like that in terms of you know, you look at the final score, seventeen to nine. Oh, it was a one score game. It's like it was never that close. It was never that close. It just. You know, the Bears couldn't finish the drives that they did, uh, you know, move the football in. And, uh, you know, it just seemed like and, 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 and see if you agree with me on this, because even though Green Bay was was, you know, obviously very, very good on third down, I felt like and that's on both sides of the ball. 
I felt like Green Bay won the game on second down, especially mm-hmm. on defense because Getzey, for whatever reason, loved dialing up those runs up the middle on second and ten so that we had third and nine, third and eight almost every single time, which means the Bears are in a passing situation, which means Green Bay is going to pin their ears back and just come after us. And even our best guy, Tevin Jenkins, had a terrible game uh, against the Packers. We just got dominated up front again like we did uh, in week one, and you know that's why it was really never uh, a contest. Like Even though the score stayed close, the game never was. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Like the Bears were never able to like, even when you get to third down, like that's hard enough, but when you get in your own way on the way to third down, yeah, it, it caused a lot of problems. To me, the the stat that encapsulates the, the the result of the game better than the score is that the Green Bay Packers had zero punts yeah. in that game. They yeah. never had to punt. The Bears never forced the Packers to punt. I know that so Jordan Love turnover, the fumble, like, okay, like the Bears did stop them once or twice in there. And at the end of the half, you know, that the Packers kind of screwed up on their own. But for the most part, like that was domination from the Packers offense and then taking the foot off the gas and just being able to just run the ball with Aaron Jones and grind you down for the rest of the game while the Bears offense couldn't do anything. Like that to me is what that game was more than a, oh, one score. Like the one score game gave you like little bits of hope. Towards mm-hmm. the end, you're yeah. like, well, if the Bears can make this drive happen, even though the previous four haven't happened, but if this time's different, maybe they can make this a game again. And then, you know, they end up getting a, a sack and an offensive holding penalty and then incomplete screen pass on third and 22, and they got a punt. You know, it's just like, well, never mind. I don't know why I even thought they would score on somebody, that drive. Somebody tweeted that out. How poetic is that the last play that Luke Getzey calls was a failed screen play on third and 22? It's like that's that's Luke Getze right there dialing up one of those dumbass screen plays on third and forever because it's always worked out. And I saw a tweet earlier in the week that said that I guess in 12 or 13, 12 games that Justin Fields played this year, uh, whatever it was, he attempted 46 screen passes, which felt like a super low number uh, to me. But he completed 36 of them for 156 yards and an interception. <laughs> 156 yards on 36 completed passes, Lauren. It's just mind-boggling, mind-boggling. That, uh, but yet it's something that we just kept going to the well uh, for that over and over again, even though it almost never worked. Like Luke Getze saw that very first play with with DJ Moore in the preseason against the Titans where he went 75 yards for a touchdown on the screenplay, and he kept calling it all season like he was waiting to see that again. Over and over again. Yeah, that's so clearly part of the problem, right? The lack of innovation, the lack of adaptation. And for a guy that, for a guy that last season we thought did a pretty good job of adjusting the offense yeah. halfway through and making Fields a part of it, like we were like, oh, this is an offensive coordinator who can figure stuff out and make it work for his quarterback. But then we started this season back to the previous offense that wasn't working the year before. It was like he didn't learn any of the lessons of the previous year and. Keep keep doing the same, you know, show over and over again. It's like, well, this is this is not what it takes to win football games. Yeah. So we are, you know, post Packer game now. We all want we all hate our lives on Monday and most of Sunday as well. And hoping to hear something on Monday and we hear nothing. Tuesday comes and goes, nothing. And then Wednesday morning finally. Okay, decisions have been made. Eberflus is staying. 
I'm 50-50 on that. But then the news that we all wanted to hear no matter what, Lou Getze is gone, along with most of the offensive staff. You know, and by my recollection, all we have left is our offensive line coach, Chris Morgan, and it said the assistant's tight end coach is fired. So I guess our tight end coach is staying as well. But Tyke Tolbert, the wide receiver coach, is out. The running back coach is out. Andrew Jonico is out, at the quarterback coach. And, of course, Luke Getze uh, were all, quote-unquote, relieved of their duties yesterday morning. I was a little surprised that Matt Eberflus insisted that the next offensive coordinator will keep that offensive line coach and will keep the tight end coach, that whoever comes in, you got to work with those guys, which just doesn't seem like good strategy. Like, sure, they might be good offense. I mean, I personally, I don't, I don't, we don't have to get into it, but like, I, I don't see a lot of evidence that the offensive line coach is doing a great job. I mean, I don't know if he's doing a terrible job, but yeah. we've got anyway. But like, sure, they might be fine coaches, but like, to hamstring a candidate who might have his own offensive line or tight ends coach in mind feels a little bit iffy to me. And same thing when you're looking for a defensive coordinator, like you're basically saying, if he's coming from outside the organization. You're sticking with our staff. You're just filling in a hole here. So get ready to work with all these people in a specific way. Like, I don't know. Like, for for as much as that press conference was like, oh, we're keeping an open mind about who the offensive coordinator is going to be. We're keeping an open mind about what we're going to do with the number one pick and what we're going to do with quarterback. Like, we're open to everything except a new offensive line coach and a tight end coach. You have to keep them. We are making sure that we keep them. We're not open minded to that. But we open minded to whatever the offensive coordinator thinks about anything else except the offensive line coach and the tight ends coach. I'm like, are these guys so great you can't let them out the building like i i don't know i'm sure they did a fine job at best but like it wasn't like this is their secret weapon that the offensive line was so great that you gotta keep the offensive line coach yeah i don't know it's i mean and i and i think they're they're leaning pretty heavy on the fact that the bears were number one in rushing last year and number two in rushing this year so that's all got to be the offensive line uh getting that done but that's only half the job Lauren, we were 27 in passing this year and dead last the year before. So, you know, it, when it wasn't because Justin Fields such a bad passer, it's like he was – we were number one in rushing last year because Justin was running for his life half the time that we were dropping back for passes. So and, I, I I just – It's not like it could be the running backs coach. I guess he doesn't have a role in that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and, and to be fair, this was the second – running backs coach the original running backs coach got fired and was that went on week six or seven or whenever that was like like i loved matt Eberflus was asked like matt you know with these firings it was like seven of your 13 coaches are gone uh how do you explain that and he's like well we got to make tough decisions in this job and we make tough decisions sometimes and that's what we decided that didn't that didn't tell me anything like they're like no one we never really got to the bottom of like why should we trust you to hire new coaches when your coaches have been fired and resigned? And we never got really an answer to that. And the media like tried to ask and kind of got dodged a lot of different times, but like that that's one of the bigger picture, like organizational things the bears do that bothers me at these press conferences. It's it's been George and Ted in the past. And we've seen Ryan Poles and, and Kevin Warren and Matty blues do this too, where it's like, we're looking for answers. And the answer we get is usually just like, trust us. Like we're going to figure it out. We're going to make it better. You know, we're going to, we're going to improve. Improvement is coming. We're going to be better. And it's like, they never really give us a, a concrete reason as to why this time the improvement's actually coming. They just say, we're going to make smart decisions and we're going to do the best thing for the team. But like, why should we believe that you are capable of that and that you're going to do that? And it's like, well, cause we're in, the, we have the job and we got it. That's all we can do. And it's like, that's, you know, there's not like that, that 
reason or that evidence of like, here's why Iberflu should be back, or here's why we're doing it this way. It's just like, ah, eh, we're gonna do we're gonna do what's best for the team. And it's like, well, how do we know that you can do what's best for the team, and that what you're gonna do is what's best for the team? Yeah, and it, it's um, and I think part of that is that whole uh, you know, c- you know, competitive advantage thing. You know, they don't want to put it out there what they're what they're looking for so teams don't go ahead and start uh blocking their their particular assistance from conversations or uh or whatever the whatever the case may may be. Maybe that's part of it uh and everything. And you know, some people just don't want to give away the recipe, I guess, on on, on certain things. But like you said, when the recipe has been giving us garbage food for such, you know, maybe it's time to change the chefs uh instead of uh instead of the food itself but you know i don't know we'll we'll have to to wait and see how it all goes down all i know is that uh when it comes to an offensive coordinator i would very much like for the first time in a while for it not to be the first time the guy's called an offensive play when he comes and and is trying to lead this offense i was very encouraged by the bears formally putting in an interview request for Seattle Seahawks offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron. Like he, he's a guy who's, who thought we thought he would be getting head coaching interviews. And so far it doesn't seem like I haven't seen any of those reported yet for him, but he's done a great job with, again, like when, when they, when the bears talked to that press conference about the offensive coordinator, right? They want a guy who can work with different quarterbacks and adjust to personnel and stuff. That certainly puts Shane Waldron to a T trying to work with Geno Smith and Drew Locke and a, a kind of a rotating cast of characters in that Seattle offense. Like sure. He's not, He's not like Mike McDaniel in in Miami or, or Kyle Shanahan per se, but like still a guy who's been successful with multiple quarterbacks in multiple systems with with experience. Like to me, that that's a very attractive candidate. I'm surprised someone like that who could be close to being a head coach would want to come to the Bears in what feels like not the most attractive offensive coordinator spot when you don't know what kind of job security Matt Eberflus has beyond 2024, if if any. Yeah, I mean, his contract goes through at least 2025, so on paper he's got at least two years uh, to figure it out. But, uh, you know, nobody wants to join a lame duck uh, regime. And, uh, you know, if if they were willing to let him stay, after, even after they, we had progress, we're four games better than we were before, uh, but there were those three games that we blew, so we should have been seven games better than we were uh, last year. If the Bears hold on and finish those three uh, football games against Denver, the first game against Detroit, and then of course the Cleveland uh, game uh, as well. And then it's just then the argument begins about what to do with quarterback. And I was actually surprised that that uh, polls left it as open as he did. You know, it's like he gave the kind of backhanded vote of confidence to Justin. I you know I think he is better than he was. Uh, a year ago at this time, which is true. Um, you know, obviously not where we wanted him to be as far as like just making it no question, but he did make uh, progress. He was a bit better throwing the ball this year than he was last year, especially towards the end of the season, minus the Packer game, of course. And, um, you know, he, I believe he can lead this team and he can lead an offense in the NFL, but we're in a unique position this year and we have to look at everything. So I don't think that's anything that he said last year. Basically, he was just like, you know, I have to, we'll have to be blown away, which he's also saying again this year. But it didn't really sound like everybody knew that he was full of it. Like, you're trading that number one pick and you're going to get a haul because that's what, 
you're going into your first real off season as the general manager and you need to build the roster and you need picks to do that with. So everybody knew it was the worst kept secret in the league this year. It truly is a mystery as to what he's going to do. And the fan base is very divided on what the answer to that question is. Yeah. I, I think it's the, at least the, the right approach from Ryan Poles sure. to not, to not, uh, you know, to, to be open-minded in that way. Like I, I don't think today in, in the beginning of January, he should know for sure. Like, okay, we're for sure trading fields or we're for sure drafting this quarterback. Like it's, it's a little early for, to have the answers right now. And, and I, I, I believe him when he says like, yeah, we're open to stuff and we're still working through it. Like I, I can't help but feel like because he's basically, he, he kind of says I'm taking the same approach as last off season and last off season, he decided to trade the number one overall pick and keep Justin Fields so if he's taking the same approach, I mean, obviously he's open-minded, but like to me, like entering this press conference, I thought I thought it pretty likely that the plan this offseason is to draft the quarterback and at some point move on from Justin Fields. And I left the press conference a little bit more open to the idea that maybe they will keep, maybe they could still keep Justin Fields, and maybe that is a stronger possibility because again, like if he needs to be blown away by the quarterbacks, and he wasn't blown away by two good quarterbacks, well, two. Top quarter, three top quarterbacks last year with Richardson, Stroud, and, and Young. Obviously, Young has been a, a massive disappointment, but Stroud has been excellent, and Richardson had a lot, to, a lot of flashes before he got hurt. Like there was, there was a lot to like about those quarterbacks last year, and everyone does perceive this quarterback class this year as better. But that when you have the number one overall pick, and you still, it doesn't, have, it's not about even about the class; it's just about the pick. It's, it's about the number one quarterback. If you think how, how much better do you think the number one quarterback is this year than the number one quarterback from last year, like? Will Caleb Williams be as good as C.J. Stroud was? I, I don't think anyone can see here today and definitively say that 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 is the case. I mean, maybe C.J. Caleb Williams has more of an ability to, quote-unquote, blow Ryan Poles away, but it sounds like he's setting a really, really high standard for what that quarterback has to be, and I, I'm less convinced that because this year is a better quarterback class, quote-unquote, because you always think the next year is going to be a better quarterback class, that that's going to be enough for him to be blown away when he wasn't blown away last year, despite those quarterbacks having some abilities to potentially blow you away. Just like this year's class has guys that could blow you away, but mm-hmm. he wasn't blown away last year. So is he going to be that much more blown away this year? Like, I'm, I'm not saying that means he's for sure going to keep fields, but I'm, I'm much closer to 50 50 today than I was before the press conference when I felt like rookie quarterback seemed a lot more likely. And now it's like, well, no, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, to tell you the truth, and this has no bearing on the players themselves, I don't think that Poles wants to draft a quarterback. I really don't, because I think what Poles wants to do is to keep building his team. And the best way to do that is to trade the pick and get more uh, capital going forward and, 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 and keep building the team, which is you know taking the quarterbacks out of it, which is what I feel he should do. Keep building the team. Because if you look at the team this year, yes, we were better. Uh, we weren't as good as we thought we were going to be or hoped is probably a better word. But, you know, we still have some holes, especially, you know, adding DJ Moore was a huge plus for us. He had career high numbers across the board uh, this season. But Darno Mooney was a ghost for most of the season. The Chase Claypool was an unmitigated disaster uh, that, you know, he's likely never to repeat. And... You know, Tyler Scott was a rookie having rookie problems, and Cole Komet could only do so much from the tight end position. Robert Tunyon was a massive disappointment, uh, in my opinion. And, you know, so it was Justin 
carrying the offense in 2022, and it was Justin and DJ Moore in 2023. It's like that's why I think people are hot for Marvin Harrison Jr., so at least we have two guys and Cole Komet uh, to throw the ball to. We still need, to, obviously, to tweak the offensive line, especially in the middle at center uh, and everything. There's still a lot of holes to fill, and I feel like the Bears would be better served finishing, building the team, and then plug your quarterback in to that. And I think the fact that, you know, Justin didn't make it a no-brainer uh, this season is probably a bigger disappointment for Ryan Poles than than most of us probably think because I think it's messing with his plans. Yeah, it speaks to the, the larger point that we've heard people talk about this offseason where it's like, the main reason we're talking about drafting a quarterback is almost purely because they have the number one overall pick, right? Yeah. If they, if the Panthers had been, no one thought the Panthers would be this bad, right? Right, right away. So if the Panthers were as expected, like let's say I know, they probably would have finished around with the bears or like say the bears had picks nine and 11 or eight and 10 or whatever the math ended up mathing out to be like, sure. Maybe we have the conversation about, if one of the top quarterbacks falls to eight, do you think about it? I mean, or do you yeah. try and package the picks up to move up to number one? But like, I don't think it's nearly the same narrative. It's like, all right, you've got two first round picks to keep building around Justin Fields. And then, or maybe you could trade down and get some seconds again, or try and get something to keep building around again. Not that like we would be declaring Justin Fields as for sure the long-term savior, but I just don't think we would be, we would like, we'd still be going into like year four of fields and like, wanting to see him get better and then decide from there whether he's your long-term quarterback. But, like, it's the number one overall pick purely that's driving a lot of this draft-a-quarterback conversation here. And I, I think is, you make a good point that, like, this is still, a, like, a really young team and they are trying to build this out. Like, that was what Matt Eberflus, like, kind of wasn't, – it wasn't his opener, but a lot of what he talked about at the press conference before he took questions was, like, he, he said the exact phrase, we're playing the long game. Yeah. And then – Talked or I don't know it was that exact phrase, but it was talking about like yeah, we're, we're thinking long term here. We're playing the long game. Like we've got a, and then he talked about all the young players that have played. He, talk, he started talking about last year's draft class, all the second year players, and then all the first year players on defense. He like didn't talk about the offense at all, which is really funny to me. But like, but so like I think they are looking at this as like yeah, this team is still getting better. This team is still very young, and like we're not thinking that this championship window is 2024, right? This championship window is not necessarily right away. Got to do it now because we're still building this out and trying to really focus on the building of everything as opposed to feeling like, okay, like we got to make the big swing at quarterback to like lock everything in. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so sold that like it's got to be that way for them. And I, I think that that's why they feel like they can be open-minded because you could either, you could talk yourself into the rookie quarterback being a part of that, long-term, you know, get a rookie quarterback in here and then give him time as the other young players get better. And you could talk yourself into, no, like, take your time building up the roster so that you're really set for whatever your long-term answer is going to be at quarterback, whether that's fields on a contract extension or drafting a rookie at some other time down the line when if you trade down from one, you're going to get future draft picks that can also help you get a quarterback in the future. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's the thing. You know, we, we got to see how the dominoes uh, fall, but the only thing that's going to uh, you know annoy me about this off season is that I'm sure that you know the way that the fan base is divided on what they want the Bears to do. Bears Twitter is going to be filled with people justifying whatever Ryan Poles does as a move for their side of the argument. So I probably won't be spending too much time on Twitter during the off season because it's been annoying enough dealing with it during the season. 
You know, basically we've been drafting Caleb Williams since late September when we were 0-4, and, 4, and <laughs> it's only been the last 14 weeks of this, week in and week out, even when Justin Fields was progressing and, and you know, the offense was playing better and all that, still pounding the table for, uh, you know, for uh, for Caleb Williams to be drafted and everything. I don't know if you've watched Caleb Williams play or if you've watched any of his film, but in the games that I watched, I I honestly feel, I honestly feel if the Bears draft Caleb Williams, it's a lateral move. It's not an upgrade. I feel like we're getting the same player, and we are literally just resetting the rookie contract clock. That's all I feel we're doing. Because when I see Caleb Williams, I see him doing a lot of things very similar to what Justin Fields does. He's very good off book. He's got an arm that can make all the throws uh, and all that kind of stuff. But also, especially in games like Notre Dame, when a guy gets under pressure, things tend to fall apart. When you know he's got to you know go crazy and and run for his life, or when he's being hit by one defender after another, and is still trying to make the play. Both of them have that sickness. The play isn't over until the whistle is blown. You can't just accept defeat and let yourself be sacked. They got to fight until there's no fight left. And that usually does not end up well. Yeah, I I definitely agree. There's a lot of similarities between them. Not that this is a Caleb Williams podcast. I think Caleb does a little bit more big time throws with his arm than Fields does. But certainly, I mean, if you look back at Fields at Ohio State, he was doing more of that stuff too. Like I I agree. Those quarterbacks are closer together than I think people want to give them credit for. And I'm, I'm not as sold that Caleb Williams is this head and shoulders above the rest of the draft class generational quarterback. You know, that doesn't mean he might not still be great and might not still be worth the number one overall pick for whoever ends up taking him there. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there that the strength of this quarterback class to me is, is, is the depth more than just being purely so top heavy. It's that, you know, between Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, JJ McCarthy, like not all those guys are going to go in the first round, but this feels to me like a year where if I'm a, t- a team that needs a quarterback, I don't feel like I need to have the number one overall pick to get one that I might still like. Maybe if there's a specific guy that I got to make sure I get before anybody else does, I got to move up for him. But I don't know that I'm clamoring to make sure that Caleb Williams is the guy I have to get because I think all these guys have a lot to like and all these guys have flaws within them that don't make any of them a perfect quarterback prospect. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and because it's just like, you know, looking at who we're, we're looking at for offensive coordinator, the only name that's really emerged so far is Shane uh, Waldron. And, you know, people speculating on who the Bears should go after, guys like maybe. And this would totally be a Justin Fields-type move, in my opinion, like a Greg Roman uh, type guy, if he would even be interested in working in Chicago, or God forbid, Eric Bieniemy, uh, you know, or somebody like that, and um, you know, it depends on who this offensive coordinator it is, and that I think will be the first step in trying to figure out what Ryan Poles wants to do. But unlike last year, where he made the trade just before free agency started, he did say yesterday, "I plan on carrying this all the way to April," so we won't be getting that that mystery solved and and the Bears gave up the number one pick a month and a half before the draft actually comes. What did you think of Ryan Poles' comments were a couple different times when he was asked about, like, scouting? Because they're trying to get him on the C.J. Stroud thing. It's like, well, like, what did you learn from Stroud? It seemed like, you know, the Bears passed on a could have drafted Stroud and, you know, had a, a great quarterback or whatever. And, like, multiple times when he was asked about quarterback evaluation, he, like, really, really strongly emphasized we need to like evaluate the person, yeah. the human being. Like he basically said, like 
we've got the, the the tape stuff. Like, oh, we we can evaluate the quarterbacks X's and O's. Like that part's easy. Like he pretty much like disregarded. Like, oh yeah, we know we we get that right all the time. We can we can tell whether these guys are good or not. But it's evaluating the person. He said over and over the human part, getting to know the guy. Like it was two or three different times he like really emphasized that. And like the tape, we don't really care about. Like we know what we want in the traits or whatever. But like the human being. Like, do you think that was about? Stroud? Do you think that was about Caleb Williams? Or do you think they've had a you think they were wrong about something and feel like, oh, we gotta be better at evaluating that? Like I I was just confused as to why that seemed like such a big part of the conversation for him. I think there's a lot of ways that you could go with that. And and, and yeah. part of it could be, you know what, I didn't really like CJ Stroud. You know, I didn't really think that he could be uh, a leader of this organization, or it could be him laying the groundwork for not taking Caleb Williams. Uh, in in the draft this year, because there are going to be a lot of pissed off Bear fans if you know when it's time for us to send our card to the podium and it's not Caleb Williams, or if the Bears wait until the day of the draft to trade the pick or the week of the draft to trade. There's going to be a lot of pissed off Bear fans that were you know we've just sold Caleb Williams to whoever uh, gets the number one uh, pick. So he very well could have been laying the foundation for why it is he didn't go with Caleb, and it's like I just. Uh, because he's never going to come out and say, you know, I just didn't really like the guy. You know, I just I didn't really like him. We had we spent some time with him. We had some dinners on the on the draft visits and blah blah blah. And I just you know just really wasn't vibing with Caleb Williams. So we went a different way, uh, kind of thing. So I just uh, I mean he'll never come out and say it because he avoided the hell out of the question when it came to even though he leaned pretty heavy, like you said about the person. The person is far more important than the athlete. The athlete. You know, you know, is is how we noticed him, kind of thing. The X's and O's, like you said, we that's the easy part. We can coach him uh, to be this, that, or the other, but making sure you've got the right person in the building, they seem to f- emphasize far more than the athlete and what he brings to the football team between the stripes. They're more concerned about what they're doing outside of him. And that's been a big theme under Matt Eberflus, and that that was the first thing Matt Eberflus said when when he started his side of the opening statement of the press conference was like. This is about the relationships I've built with this team, right? The relationships we've built from day one, like that's what's held this team together through thick and thin. And when things are going bad, it's the relationships that we've had together. That's why it's why I'm still here. That's why, you know, brought, even Kevin Warren, I think, at his press conference was asked, like, what the Bears accomplished this season. He talked about managing crises and and seeing the fortitude of guys and that when things are going bad, it can either pull you apart or pull you together. And this team has been pulled together. Like, clearly that's a huge priority for the bears to make sure they get the right people in there. And I wonder if that's also like a lessons of chase Claypool thing too, where it's like, yeah, you know, maybe we overlooked the people, the person aspect in that one, just to try and get the talent. And, and, but they must've clearly felt better about DJ Moore in that regard and, and pulled the trigger that way instead. And like, Oh yeah, they did. There's our, there's our like yin and yang answer of like trade for a wide receiver one fits the culture really well one does not we got to make sure we we really nail that and not don't make that mistake at a big position like quarterback where that's going to be the leader of your team yeah and even when uh when Iberflus talked about Montez Sweat the last thing he said about Montez was and he's a quality human being they always seem to emphasize that that was always thrown uh in there uh as well you know even when they were asking about you know Justin just because, like, because they one of the person, one of the people asked him about Justin, you know, Justin being on his third coordinator in four seasons, and you know, does that bring any concerns? And blah. Well, Justin's a smart guy, 
You know, he, he catches on very quickly, blah, blah, blah. And he's a good person. You know, he's a leader in our locker room. It's like they, they clearly emphasize character uh, as possibly the number one trait that each player has to have if they're going to have him in the building. So, and I, I struggle with that just a little bit because it's like, yeah, it, you obviously want to have high character players, right? You want to have great guys, but like, you, you know, you can have a team full of great guys if they're, but if they're not any good, yeah, you know. But I think, can, I think ultimately, what they want is for a bunch of people where the main thing is the main thing, you know, not like somebody who with Claypool was far more concerned with getting the football than he was about the Bears winning or losing uh, of, you know, out there uh, in, in, you know, in the field. It's like he, he wasn't being used properly. And that was basically the last thing he ever said to Chicago media was when they asked him if he was being used properly, the moron said no uh, flat out in, in front of everyone. And the next thing you know, he's inactive. They didn't even let him come to the stadium uh, in that Broncos game uh, and everything. So, yeah, I mean, it's like the Ryan Poles clearly does not want to get burned again on a guy that's got a high ceiling talent-wise but is bottom of the barrel as far as uh, character and, and just being an overall good person. Well, see, my my thing there that I, I get stuck in, like I think back to the likes, you know, when you think of, you know, quote-unquote diva wide receivers of the past, right, of the recent past, you know, right, Randy Moss, T.O., Chad Otrocinco, et cetera, like – with those guys that you might not, I mean, I'm not trying to say they're bad people, but you know, they're sort of like quote unquote character concerns or locker room concerns or whatever you might, however you want to characterize them. All three of those guys. And historically all those guys, when your team is winning and playing well, they shut up and play. You know what I mean? Like they only become a problem when you're losing. And I think that say that the, that's true for Chase Claypool as well. Like we haven't really heard shit from him in Miami. He hasn't been playing well. He only had three catches, but they're winning. So he doesn't have a lot to complain about. Like the receiver can't go out there and say, man, I need the ball more when they're winning because they're winning and he can't get away. Like the locker room will turn on him at that point. And like, generally speaking, like it polices itself when your team is doing well and it becomes a problem when your team is doing poorly. Like, so to me, like, yes, character matters and you want good people. But even if you have guys with slight character concerns, like, as long as your team is talented enough and well coached enough to win, you usually can kind of smooth over those pretty well with winning. Obviously, you don't want a locker room full of full of you know problematic people or whatever that might cause disrespect. Like there's a there's a line there, and it's it's a balance. Certainly, you want mostly good people, but I think like you can afford to bring in a potential malcontent or somebody who might have some sort of you know flaw in in terms of off the field in that regard that doesn't it only it only becomes a problem if you're not winning and then if you're not winning you have other problems too that you need to solve and and it, it, so that's why I like it's great to have a bunch of good players but if you have a bunch of good players but none of them are good like I'd rather have a, a couple of better players that might have a couple of little concerns there than take the lesser player who's a really good guy and just easy to root for because he's not going to cause any trouble and he's not going to rock the boat well is, is he going to help you win football games better than the other guy like that that ultimately starts to matter a little bit more to me. You know, as long as you're not talking about someone who's doing clearly like illegal things or crime or certainly like, you know, violence against women or those kind of things where we've seen like really serious stuff. But if we're just talking, you know, locker room guy personality type stuff to me, give me the better football player and make sure I have a coach and a team that's good enough to win and handle that. Well, I mean, it's the Jalen Carter versus Darnell, Wright Yeah. Debate great point. Because in, in the end, character won out. Darnell Wright was the guy that they liked more, and obviously he played a position that we needed just a little bit more than three technique. Uh, and Jalen Carter, at times, was a beast for the uh, 
for the Eagles. But I, I, I would I would go with Darno Wright every time if given that decision uh, again, uh, because the defense eventually figured it out. We could still definitely use a certified three technique in that defense, especially with uh, Eberflus hanging around. But that was the that was it right there. Jalen Carter fell into our laps at nine. We quote unquote passed on him at one by trading the pick, and there he was at nine. The Bears traded out and let the Eagles uh, take him, and we take Darnell Wright one pick later at uh, at ten. So it was like the the character issue was there, and in the end, Poles went with the guy that he wouldn't have to worry about. He wanted the guy that was just going to come in and play football. That's forever going to be one of those like Ryan Poles what ifs. Yeah, right? when you look back, certainly we'll do the, the people will do the what if on CJ Stroud. Like, okay, what if they did want to take Stroud? But like to me, that was never really in the in the cards. Like, right. You know, like the, like to me, the Jalen Carter thing is closer to like the Bruce Arians, Mark Trustman thing, oh, where it's like Jesus Christ, this was in the car. Like this could have happened, but the team said no. Whereas like, yes, yeah, Stroud could have happened, but it was never really going to happen. But Carter, Carter was much more like. This is in your lap, and you've got to choose red pill, blue pill, you know, the matrix. Like, which one are you going to take? It wasn't like C.J. Stroud versus trade down. It was like, okay, we're trading down. Then it was like, okay, Jalen Carter or Darnell Wright, and they chose Darnell Wright. Same with, like, Bruce Arians and Mark Trussman. And, like, that that to me was is going to be one of those that for the rest of Carter's career and the rest of Darnell Wright's career, we are going to compare those two. And we might see a similar type of thing this season when it comes to the quarterback situation where if they move on from fields – we're always going to look back and say, man, what if they had kept fields? What he does at this next team, would he have done that in Chicago, whether it's good or bad? And, like, same thing if, if they draft one quarterback or pass on quarterbacks. Like, are we going to think about that again? Like, if Caleb Williams is great and Fields struggles and the Bears keep him and get rid of him, it's like, man, Fields or Caleb Williams, they're right there for the Bears to pick between the two of them. Like, it's much more of a one-versus-one comparison compared to last year where it was not Fields versus Bryce Young or Fields versus C.J. Stroud. It was like, oh, well, they didn't really want them anyway. Right. Call me crazy, man. I mean, I'm sure that you'll. That I've, this is just a, a crazy thought, just like off the, off the cuff thought here. But you know, it's like, am I crazy for one of the main reasons that I don't want the Bears to drop Fields, is that I don't want to watch him go and be the quarterback we thought he could be somewhere else. I would, I would rather watch him fail in Chicago than watch him succeed someplace else. I, I call me crazy, but I just. I don't want this to be one of those what ifs. Like, what if we had just actually been patient and we finished building the team around Fields and see what he could do when he when it wasn't all on him, you know, when it wasn't all on him. What would that have looked like if we'd have stuck with him and instead we drafted Williams or Drake May or Daniels or whatever uh, and everything? Because actually, somebody like Daniels or, or Bo Nix or somebody could be there for us at nine if we if we don't pick uh, a quarterback at number one, but. What if we stuck with you know stuck with Fields and instead of trading him to the Falcons or wherever it is that uh, you know he might end up uh, going? I, I would rather watch him fail in Chicago than watch him become Justin Fields somewhere else. Yeah, I think two two things on that. One, it helps that we've never seen a Bears quarterback go on somewhere. Is that that in my lifetime? <laughs> it really does, actually. Yeah, leave Chicago and go to another team. And be so much better there. Like I'm, I'm trying to run through my brain. I, I mean, I can't really think of of any. So like, generally, like the Bears don't get it right at quarterback in, in terms of the the positive side. But like, they usually get it right in identifying like, okay, yeah, this guy's bad. Let's let, let's move on. Not that I'm saying Fields is that per se, but like, right. generally that that hasn't been historically a problem for this franchise giving up on guys too early. But the other thing is like. We, we so often, like, it's easy to look at a guy on another team and be like, man, 
what could he wouldn't he, wouldn't he have done that in Chicago? I mean, we did that a little bit with Patrick Mahomes, right? It's like, well, if the Bears had drafted Mahomes instead of Trubisky, would he still be Mahomes? And like, he wouldn't be the same Mahomes, no. you know. I I don't know that he would, doesn't mean he would be as bad as Trubisky was, but like same thing with Jalen Carter too. It's like, did the Bears have the locker room to take on Jalen Carter? I mean, pre Montez Sweat, right. this defensive line, I mean, was not was not great, and the team was playing poorly. How would that have gone with Carter when they're zero and four or two and six? You know what I mean? Like so to to it, you like so if even if Fields goes on to Atlanta or whatever and plays well, like the Bears do not have Bijan Robinson. Kyle Pitts. I mean, they don't have Drake London. They got DJ Moore. Like it's, but like, you know, I mean, it's never an apples to apples thing where it's like maybe just the right combination of players and coach over there works for a player when the combination of players and coach you have here wouldn't work for that player. And there was never a pass. There was never a path where he would have been that good in Chicago. He had to be on that team in that situation in order to be that good. And if you would, if you could go back in history and reverse it and keep him in Chicago, he wouldn't have been that good. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's right. kind of the way I tend to approach it where it's like, he, if he was going to be great with the bears, we, we would have already seen it or we would see it. You know what I mean? And, and the fact that he wasn't, doesn't mean that more time with the bears is all of a sudden going to fix it when going to their team fixed it too. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I tend to not worry about that as much. Yeah, I know what you mean, man. It's just that I think that, you know, people were so excited about him because, number one, we weren't supposed to even be in the conversation for Fields and he fell into our laps. Uh, we didn't get fleeced on the trade to move up for him. Uh, and he's obviously one of the most talented players we've ever had as far as athletically uh, and everything. And, it also, you know, Nagy tried to square peg him in the round hole uh, in his rookie season, and we thought that we were getting a guy that would let Justin Fields be Justin Fields. And aside from, like, that five-, six-week period where we averaged 30 points a game in 2022 there, you know, it, that didn't really happen last year either, and it certainly didn't happen this year either, which is one of the things that's kind of frustrated me about the whole Caleb Williams conversation is like god forbid Getsy stays and he's the offensive coordinator we're not drafting Caleb Williams I don't see that happening because Caleb Williams is a guy that doesn't want to be stuck in the pocket he's going to move around he's going to want to do this he's it's going to be Justin Fields all over again I would think that Getsy would want to draft Drake May because he would be a lot closer to like an Aaron Rodgers than than Caleb Williams would be somebody who's comfortable in the pocket who throws from the pocket and all that kind of stuff and it just you know, that was one of the reasons that drove me nuts that we kept talking about Caleb Williams. It's like, if you look at this offense, the last guy that we want on this team is Caleb Williams. We would want Drake May because that's obviously who Luke Getze wants him to be. Otherwise, we'd turn Justin Fields loose and let him do what he does best because Justin Fields did his best work off book, and that's when he was going against what Getze wanted him to do. That's, I think, why you heard... Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles both talk about next offensive coordinator, adapt and adjust to your players. Yeah. Be flexible. Be open to all of these things because Luke Getze wasn't doing it enough, and we don't want to be hamstrung into any specific quarterback decision based on who our coordinator is. We're not going to hire a coordinator just for Justin. We're not going to hire a coordinator just for Caleb Williams or Drake May or any individual in these quarterbacks. I mean, Ryan Poles got – I think the whole – quote unquote controversy over him saying any of these four guys was the phrase he used when he's talking about the quarterbacks. I, I certainly have a lot of a ton of respect for Courtney Corn of ESPN. She's great. That this is not a criticism of her, but like she was the one who asked the question and then a follow up question about the, those four quarterbacks. I I thought he just pulled a number. Like you, you, you gotta be able to have answers for 
any of, you know, these, these four quarterbacks, like, you know, just sort of like these four, you know, like just a hypothetical group of say four different quarterback options is, is how I took that. Not that he had a specific idea of four quarterbacks in the draft or three quarterbacks plus fields or whatever that, whatever. I, I think that number four was just like a, a throwaway number there, but th- that was his point about the offensive coordinator. It's like, you got to have like, when we're interviewing coaches or offensive coordinators, I want to hear your plan for, you know, these four types of quarterbacks, you know, like that. It was just like, well, four was an arbitrary number that he just kind of picked of like, give us four different options or three different options or five different options of how you might handle these different scenarios so that we know you as an offensive coordinator, how you adjust and adapt. Yeah. You know, I mean like right now, sit down and tell me what game plan you would do for Justin. What would you do for Tyson Bajan or God forbid, what would you do for Nathan Peterman? If those, because those are the three quarterbacks on the roster. If those are the three guys that we're going to war with, how would you approach the game plan knowing what these guys can do and, uh, and all that kind of stuff, you know, how would you push the ball down the field with Tyson Bajant when it was more of a, you know, pitch and catch type of offense that we ran with him? It worked to a degree, but nowhere near, you know, the uh, how open the playbook became when Justin came back and uh, and things like that. So, yeah, I, I was uh, it was an interesting point in the in the press conference. So real quick so we can wrap up before we got to let you go here. Uh, Kevin Warren at the end. Um, you know, you and I were texting back and forth during that portion uh, of it, and it's like I just—I don't know if it's if it's just the vibe or if he's you know a typical Chicago Bears hire or whatever. And but it's like I texted you, and I was like, I don't feel like any time during his tenure, no matter how badly it turns out, I'm ever going to look at you and say that guy was an idiot, you know. But it's just like Ted Phillips reeked of it, and. Uh, and everything, and and thank God we got spared George McCaskey uh, yesterday. We didn't have to sit through that nonsense uh, of him fumbling about you know why it is we're we're keeping Eberflus and making us feel bad about it uh, and everything. I find Kevin Warren to be an impressive guy, uh, you know, formidable kind of very authoritative kind of person. You can definitely tell he's the man in charge uh, and everything. And uh, you know, I, I didn't walk away feeling like he was trying to sell me something which is always what George and Ted were trying to do. The one thing I, I agree hundred percent, like I'm, I I'm team Kevin Warren at this point and, and definitely like his approach to things. And I, I like specifically like he, he, he does a good job of walking the line of like, yes, I collaborate with Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus and George on football decisions. You know, I, I'm there, I'm in the room but he, he also is really good at being like, but I'm not the football expert. Like I hire these guys to be the expert and I'm, I'm here to support and be a resource. And if I can help connect somebody somewhere, like he's like, what can I do to help us win was the phrase he's used. And I'm like, I like that. He's not, it's, he sounds like a guy who is humble enough and self-aware enough to know that like what he, what he, how he scouts a quarterback shouldn't matter in, in what Brian pulls aside. The one thing I will say about, about Kevin Warren that, it bothers me. It's maybe too strong a phrase, but I'm I'm just I'm nervous about. Like you said, you'll never, you'll look back at Kevin Warren and never think that guy was an idiot. But I I do wonder if there's a possibility we look back and think maybe he's a little bit outdated. Only in the sense that he all the time brings up the 1999 Rams and to a lesser extent the Minnesota Vikings from 2005 to 2014. Like he talks about those over and over again. Here's what worked with the Rams, here's what worked with the Vikings and we want to do that too. He left the Vikings in 2014. So we're essentially a full decade removed from the most recent team he references. There no I guess no he's sorry, he was their chief operating officer until 2019. Okay, so he was with the Vikings a little bit longer. 
but he certainly talks about the Rams a lot more in this process from 1997 to 2000, the team he was on 24 years ago when cell phones were not accessing the internet. I mean, you know what I mean? I don't overdo like how long ago 24 years ago was, but like I was in diapers when he was with the St. Louis Rams. <laughs> and like, I don't, I don't love that. That's the basis for keeping Matt Eberflus in his eyes. He's like, well, back then, you know, think we, we, after two years, we needed that third year. We just need to be patient with it. And then we put it over the top because that worked 25 years ago. And I'm like, maybe he's right. I'm not saying he's for sure wrong, but I could just foresee, like, if I, if I want to find the flaw in Kevin Warren, it's like, I'm worried about not over, not, not deeming it terrible by any means, but just, I'm wondering if in the future, if things go poorly, if we will look back and say, maybe he's relying on a formula that's too old and that's not, Maybe the NFL has changed a little bit more since then and that he, he was wrong to assume that it would still work the same way. I'm, I'm not saying he is wrong. I'm just that that's where when I think about Kevin Warren's legacy or how we might look back at him, that's the one area where I'm, I'm like, are we are we relying on an outdated formula here? That's that's my only question. Yeah, he did uh, lean back on that. Um yeah, I mean he's been he was running the Big Ten for the last five years or so, so it's not necessarily like he was he could look back on a on how something went well in the most modern uh, era that he was a part of, and uh, or anything. Does that, do those Vikings teams from two thousand and five to two thousand nineteen strike you as like they were so good we got to repeat that? I mean they built a stadium and that's great, and I Kevin Ward's great on that for sure. But like from a they weren't like a disaster organization. They weren't terrible. Like they weren't a laughing stock. They were competitive, but they the only run they ever went on was Brett Favre in twenty eleven or twenty ten or whatever it was. But it was other than that, they were an average franchise, I guess. I don't know. Like is that is that the formula we also want to repeat? Well, there was like, also twenty seventeen, right at the end. Oh yeah. That um, was the uh the Stefan Diggs touchdown over the the Saints that season when yeah. they went to the NFC title game and point. um so I mean that was probably the most recent, you know, successful team that the Vikings had that he was uh, a part of. Because I don't think 20, 2018, 2019, they weren't uh, much to write home about, especially 2018. I remember that year very well. So, but um, yeah, so, but I just, I, I just, for me, it was more about the breath of fresh air that the guy in charge didn't sound like a bumbling idiot who inherited the position as opposed to somebody like Kevin Warren who actually earned it. So, I guess maybe that's what was uh, what I was vibing on was that he seemed like a competent individual, and, and you know maybe he is leaning on that thing, but he's also kind of uh, you know I think trying to to give the press examples of of what he was what he was talking about or, or to justify why it is that keeping Eberflus was a was a good idea because if you know because basically me and Matt Eberflus is Dick Vermeil as far as how how the season started for him, and it was actually worse the second season than he was in the first one. We kept him for that third. We went 13-3 and three, we won the Super Bowl, bang, 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 uh, kind of thing. But, you know, it's, uh, you know it, does, it does worry that your best example was 25 seasons ago. And to, to his point, like, there are a lot of parallels between the 19, I forget, it was a 1998 into 99 season Rams to where the Bears are now, where he mentioned one of them that, they fired their offensive coordinator before they went into year three. Yeah. They also drafted a wide receiver with their first round pick, Torrey Holt, that put them over the top. Uh, they made a quarterback change. They moved on from, I don't remember, Lord knows who that guy was back then. They signed, I think, Trent Green. Yeah. And then 
Kurt Warner took over. That, right. That, that was the year Kurt Warner took over that he ended up, they make the quarterback change to not a rookie that they drafted, but the young unproven guy they switched to with a rookie first round top 10 pick wide receiver. I think it was six overall to Torrey Holt. Right. And they also traded for Marshall Falk that off season, but like OC change quarterback change first round wide receiver. Like that's, those are all things the Bears are in the market for right now, potentially could could be doing those things. And you add another playmaker like a Marshall Falk. I mean, you got the I mean, I don't know if the Bears should should go out and get a big time running back because I like Herbert and Roshan Johnson, but you know, Saquon Barkley's out there this offseason, Zeke Pollard. I mean, they're I mean, uh the Pollard from I kind of think of Pollard's first name in Dallas. Tony. But regardless, there are running backs out there. Bernard no, not Bernard, but anyway, they're running Tony backs Pollard. out there. Tony Pollard. Yeah, Tony, thank you. There are options out there for the Bears to do a lot of the same things the Rams did at that time. And I can see where Kevin Warren's like, man, it does feel really similar and maybe it can work again. You know, I mean, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. But if we give up a two and a five for Josh Jacobs, I'm going to shoot somebody. So that's, uh, that's what the, that's what the Colts, uh, got in return for Marshall Falk was a second and a fifth round pick for a future hall of famer that basically changed Jane. He was the, the, the cog in that, in the wheel for the, because he could run the ball, he caught passes out of the backfield, so he just didn't have to rely on Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt and and uh, Azakira Keem or uh, you know in the in that Rams offense uh, and everything. So I don't know, but uh, it, it's it's going to be an interesting off season. All the questions that will be answered, and uh, you know how many times will again we hear when we when we hire offensive coordinator, how many times will adapt and adjust be. Uh, a part of of that speech because the joke that I made to you was like, yeah, if this was a if this was a drinking game, ad- adapt and adjust, we'd be dead from alcohol poisoning uh, by now. So we'll see how many times that comes up uh, with the guy and see if he actually means it this time because that's the tune that Luke Getzey was singing when he got hired as offensive coordinators. So we're going to tailor the offense to what our players do well, and then he did the exact opposite for two seasons. Matt, I think Matt Nagy said the same thing years ago when he yeah. got introduced. Like, yeah, we got to fit, we got to tailor our offense to our players, and then they don't. Like, right. so again, like, why, why should we trust Matt Eberflus when he says we're going to get this right? You know what I mean, it's, it's the same, the same thing. It's like, yes, they say the thing, but like, how do we know? Why, why should he we trust? He was also not an experienced play caller when he came in. 2018 was his first year calling plays, and then 2022, first year for Getsy calling the plays it's like we want to bring somebody who's got some experience and hopefully successful experience coming in to call plays for us next year because you know and also to show that they can call different types of offenses which is why I'm hot for a guy like Greg Roman because he shifted from Alex Smith to um, Colin Kaepernick and went to a Super Bowl he turned a second year Lamar Jackson into an MVP and they had the best record in the league going into the playoffs that year he's got a track record of moving uh, working with these mobile quarterbacks and and using them to the best of their abilities and getting not just results but good solid successful results man and and that's that's why I like Greg Roman but I, I doubt the Bears even talk to him I, I have a feeling they'll be competing with Jim Harbaugh for Greg Roman's services and might <laughs> lose the battle uh, that's but- true you can see him. You can see him run Justin Herbert's offense next year or or uh, whoever the Raiders end up deciding to go with that quarterback yeah. Yeah, did you hear the disappointment in whoever that was from the press corps that asked him if he talked to Jim Harbaugh? I think it was Mark Potash. Yeah. What what's what's Ryan Poles going to say there? Like that's a I I don't I guess you kind of have to ask it just to get him on the record, but like he's never going to say yes. Like first yeah. of all, 
if anybody from the Bears talked to Jim Harbaugh or his age, well, first of all, they wouldn't call Jim Harbaugh. They'd call his agent, Don Yee. Second of all, if somebody was going to do that conversation, it's not Ryan Poles. It's Kevin Warren or George McCaskey. Like, Ryan Poles can honestly say, no, I did not talk to Jim Harbaugh, scout's honor, because he didn't talk to Jim Harbaugh. He he probably didn't even talk to Don Yee. But if anybody did, it would be somebody else in the organization. Like, I to me, they probably did talk to some member of Harbaugh's staff. I, I would be hard-pressed to believe they weren't in some kind of conversation with someone connected to Harbaugh just to kick the tires there. But Ryan Poles can honestly say he didn't talk to Harbaugh because, of course, he didn't talk to Harbaugh. Right. Uh, so as we wrap up here, uh, Lauren, what would you like to see happen in this offseason? Kind of break it down a little bit for me. Yeah, I, I certainly want a smart, versatile offensive coordinator that I feel like I can trust. Um, I'm not I like Shane Waldron to me is the top choice of the of the realistic candidates to me because I didn't think he was a realistic candidate. <laughs> so he instantly jumps to the top of a guy. But I'm not like married to a specific other option besides him. I mean, it's a lot of guys like there. But then, you know, quarterback wise, I, I find myself more and more in the boat of like trade down from one, let someone else take Caleb Williams, but still draft a quarterback. Like I'm not sold that it's got to be Caleb Williams, but I would like you know, I, I haven't done a lot of in-depth scouting on all the quarterbacks, but like, I like the idea of like Jane Daniels or whatever, like, you know, get, get a quarterback in here, but when it's not the number one overall pick, then it's not such a media storm of like, Oh, he's the number one overall pick. You got to start him week one. You got to get rid yeah. of fields. Whereas it can be a little bit more of a Jordan love kind of controversy where it's going to be controversial and it's going to be a, a, you know, a, a storm and a thousand questions about what does this mean for the quarterback? And it was that way for Rogers and, and love for years. And it was messy. It's going to be messy, but like I would feel better about getting some return on the number one overall pick, not marrying myself to Caleb Williams, still giving me a long-term option at quarterback, but less pressure that that guy has to start year one. It can really truly be fields in 2024 and fields as long as fields is great. Just like it was Aaron Rodgers as long as Aaron Rodgers was great. And then the moment, Feel you know if Fields doesn't make that step forward or isn't great, I've got a better backup option than Tyson Bajan, a better long term alternative plan than, than Tyson Bajan. I've got something in my back pocket that I can go to, but I don't have to go to him because he was the number one overall pick, and so he's just got to play right away. No, I can sit there, and even if he's a top ten pick, I can still feel like let's sit him for as long as we can and roll with Fields for as long as we can, and then you know also draft receivers and bolster this offensive line. I, I really want a three technique pass rusher. They really need to upgrade the interior of that defensive line. I want someone that can be a game changer there. And another defensive end, like pass rush to me is big priority along with having another quarterback option, but still keep fields and give me two, two bites at the quarterback apple instead of one. I can dig that. Is Christian Watkins from Miami? Is he a three? He can, I mean, he, he can, I mean, he's, he's very sort of hybrid in that way. Right. I mean, they're, they're a little bit, it's, it's Vic Fangio's defense. So it's kind of like an Akeem Hicks where he plays some outside, he plays some nose, he plays some three. I like long story short, like, yes, he can, he can absolutely play that position. He's not like their true. They got Raekwon Davis as like their true nose tackle. He's more like the five technique and who can play three technique. And I mean, not that he's, his skill set is the same as Akeem Hicks, but he plays that role in Fangio's defense. Yeah, and then if, uh, you know, depending on what we do, there's that kid from Illinois that could possibly be there for the Bears at nine. Uh, I never, I don't know how to pronounce his first name. Is it Jerjan or something like that? No yeah. idea. Yeah, so, but he's been, he's listed as the number one interior, and he played three in, in Illinois, so maybe that would be a good thing for us if he was there at nine to actually take the the top interior guy at number nine overall as opposed to passing on him last uh, <laughs> last year, for better or for worse. Uh uh, and everything, but um, 
Yeah, we obviously we got to get it done with with Jalen Johnson because uh, even though I was kind of arguing against, to me it was you and I had this debate a few years ago about Allen Robinson. You know where I was pounding the table. He is not a twenty million dollar a year wide receiver, and not to say I told you so, but I was right about that. Um, he wasn't. He didn't get that twenty million when he was a free agent and went to L.A. and now he's kind of lingering in in Pittsburgh where he's a complete non factor in their offense. Uh, you know, only two years removed from his time uh, in Chicago. But it was like I was – my argument for that was the same as it was with uh, with Allen Robinson, was like he wants 20 mil a season. He wants to be paid like one of the best, but he doesn't make the plays when the plays are there. And I had one example after another with Jalen Johnson where it's it's not so much the play that he didn't make, it's what happened after he didn't make the play. That pick six that he dropped in Detroit – one play later, they score a touchdown. What could have been 14 to nothing is now 7-7. The pick six that he dropped in Minnesota. We didn't score a touchdown. We would have scored one there if he takes it back, and maybe that's an easier game for the Bears to win. The interception that he dropped in Cleveland, one play later, Flacco hits Amari Cooper for a 42-yard reception down the field, and they're off to the races uh, offensively. It was always seemed like whenever he didn't make the play, not making that play hurt us because of him not making that play and the guys that make 20 21 million dollars they make those plays they're the ones that come down with the football they make the pick six they don't let those opportunities get by but Jalen Johnson has been out of his mind pretty much all season and especially with the way he finished the year I can't argue against him getting the money that he wants now the only I, I agree the only thing that scares me a little bit with Jalen Johnson is the durability yeah right that does worry it, me it's never I mean, it's never been like, you know, he plays zero games in a season, but like four years now, it's been 13 games, 15 games, 11 games, 14 games. So uh, I'm not good at dividing 53 by four, but it's a little less than 15 games per season. A, 13 and a quarter. Games a season is, is what we get from him every year. He's going to miss a couple of games. Yeah. And our, how, and, and that to me is just like, it's a, becomes a personal tolerance thing. How, how willing are you to deal with that? Like if you and Ryan Poles and any GM, like if, if it feels like an inevitability, he's going to miss two or three games every year. Is that still worth $20 million to you? Like it might be. And, and for Ryan Poles, it very well may be. And for me, I mean, it probably still is, but it, it is a factor there. And I don't know. It'd be nice if there's like some, some way you could build that into the contract that you wouldn't get an injury guarantee there where it's like, he's going to lose money per se, but I, you know, can you, can you pay him like three, like, you know, three quarters of the salary or, you know, four fifths <laughs> of the salary and just have them automatically lose a couple of game checks every year. Like there's not a way to put that in the contract, but it would be nice if you could. Yeah. I mean, the bears are in a unique position that we could actually afford to lose Jalen for a game or two because Terrell Smith turned out great. Tyreek Stevenson uh, turned out great. We also have Kyler Gordon, who I was surprised we didn't kick to the outside at any point uh, when we were had our little, I mean, Terrell Smith was what, six, seven weeks with mono. Uh, this season, and we still kept Kyler Gordon in there at uh, at uh, at slot, and and we're still throwing other guys out there at uh, at corner on the outside. So, but um, yeah. So I mean, it's uh, you know, Poles is in a good position where yeah, maybe we could lose Jalen for a game or two here and there because Terrell Smith worked out as a fifth round pick. Tyreek Stevenson was outstanding. He actually figured out how to catch the ball at the end of the season because how many interceptions did that kid drop in the first half of the year? You know, it's like it started in the preseason. It carried through like the first half of the season. Yeah, over and over again. And, over and, and over he again. Got, he got better, too, when it, yeah. when it comes to like, it's still, there's still mistakes in there, and he still gets yeah. beat. 
times, but some of the instinctual plays he makes, man, are just so impressive, and yeah. it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it's it was really cool. So, you know, I'm I'm hopeful for next season. You know, we were we were all about optimism and and hope going into 2023, but that was dashed very quickly once the season actually started. Now it's it's basically we're in civil war with ourselves right now as far as the fan base. What should the Bears do? What should we do? You know, and it's appropriate that it's an election year because we're about to get started with that shit all over again and, you know, people being right and wrong and hating each other for it and all that kind of stuff. Good times. But, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll see how it all unfolds, and I'm sure you'll be back to uh, to help us sift through the, uh, the ashes of, uh, you know, and the remnants of what's left. And, uh, you know, are we doing this the right way? Did we hire the right coordinator? Are we, you know, when free agency starts and we do have some money to play with, are we bringing in... Uh, the right guys. So, Lauren, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Tell us where we can keep uh, keep track of you and and the show during the off season. Yeah, of course, always happy to be on with you and appreciate the the invite. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Cox Sports One, and you can hear the Lockdown Bears podcast on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome, Lauren Cox. Thanks so much, man. We will talk to you again during the off season. Maybe get you in for another retro rewind. Have you watch a game that you weren't even alive? to watch like we did when we did the Bears Niners from 1985. You got to see the uh, the world champs up close uh, for the first time. Hey, looking forward to it. As always, want to thank Lauren Cox for uh, coming on the show. We love having him on, and like I said, we will uh, try to figure out uh, as many excuses as we can to bring him on the show, maybe another Retro Rewind uh, episode, and I'm sure that we'll be talking to Lauren once we hire an offensive coordinator and what we think it might mean as far as the future of Justin Fields and, and the offense and all that kind of stuff. We talked about Shane Waldron. I mentioned Greg Roman, and that was more in the vein of keeping Justin Fields. I mean, I think it would be beneficial to have a guy like Greg Roman who's done it with uh, Kaepernick and uh, Lamar Jackson. And pro- I'm, I'm probably forgetting others that he's worked with uh, in the league uh, as well, but uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, on that. But, uh, you know, like I said, always love having him on, and uh, we will have him back on between now and the, uh, the uh, you know, what is it? The uh, opponent preview series where we, we where we always wrap things up uh, with him. So that is all I got for now, guys. So we're going to go ahead and get out of here, closing the book officially on the 2023 Chicago Bears. So pretty much anything that comes out now, Bears related, will in fact be about the 2024 uh, season. So we still got uh, another couple of weeks of fourth phase episodes. So that will be what comes out tomorrow is the wild card preview for the fourth phase. So it's all NFL from here until the Super Bowl. And then we can start dedicating ourselves to our beloved Chicago Bears once the offseason officially begins uh, in February. So that is going to do it for the 2023 Bears Talk Underground Bears-related content. Come on back tomorrow for the fourth phase. We get the playoffs started. And until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been Bears Talk Underground.